for that. Okay, take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to James chapter 1. We are two weeks in, two weeks deep in our series about Talk is Cheap, a study on the book of James. And I just want to give you a quick follow-up. James is the younger brother of Jesus who has this dramatic encounter with the Messiah just shortly after his death and resurrection, and that meeting transforms James's life. And, and he goes from being not a believer in Jesus to being a believer, a follower, and becomes a prominent leader and teacher in the church in Jerusalem. And he now sits down and he writes an open letter to Jewish people who have been scattered, Jewish followers of Jesus who've been scattered all over the world because of persecution. And he calls them, and now as we study this. He calls you and calls me to uh, a faith, to live out our faith in strength in a world that doesn't understand what we stand for and quite often doesn't believe and pushes against what we believe in. And, and his practical message speaks to the very seven areas that are on the, on the book uh, bookmark, and if you don't have it, please see me before you go so that you get it. The seven areas that we're addressing this year as a church family uh, and, and he talks pointedly about our connection with people and how we should respond to, to their station and their need in life. He calls us back to the Word of God and says that we should allow the Word to change, to transform our lives. He calls us to serve people as, as Jesus came to serve, to learn about God, to, to be self-aware and learn about what God is up to in and through our lives. And he had some very clear words about how we should pray, about how we engage and live among people who, who need Christ and how to view money and, and addressing our response to needs that present themselves every day in our world. And so today I want to go to uh, chapter 1, verses 19 and all the way to the end in a message that I've called More Than Good Intentions. In the staff meeting, they sort of pushed me and wanted me to call it hell's paved. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. They were just trying to get me in trouble. But listen, um, James says, I don't want you just to say, well, in the sweet by and by, in a, good, in, in a day when I have time, when, when I'm able to, we'll get around to this. He, he says, listen, you have to be intentional. You, you, you have to be committed. You have to be experiencing divine living in, in, in personal transformation. And you have to do it now, today. Not someday, today. And, and the first thing he, he wants you to pay attention to is your response to difficult people and really difficult situations. Remember, he's writing to a people that are living with persecution, that are living with bigotry, and are facing racial and religious tensions. And, and James says, beware of how you approach those people and those problems. Verse 19 would be a good verse for you to highlight, a good verse for you to memorize. It would be a great verse for me to memorize. It says, understanding this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. 
Pastor Bill, if I knew you were going to pick on me, I would have just stayed in bed this morning. It's not me. It's the word. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. While I'm thinking of it, didn't you like our new intern? Wasn't that fabulous? He did very well. He was, took his job very seriously. Waved to a few fans over there. Got a little warm, took his jacket off. It was fabulous. I sent his grandmother a picture in the UK just so she knew. We like to start them young. I can't divulge names, but I, I happen to know personally someone very close to me that wants to know how the book, how the movie ends before they become involved in the storyline. The, the question that's always asked is, tell me, does it end well? If it doesn't have a happy ending, I don't want to be involved, she says. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> um, th- th- this person has been known to, by the early chapters of a book, sneak a peek at the end to see if the hero or heroine is still in the last pages or if they tragically come to an end somewhere in between. We are not keen to have mysteries in our life. We like to know the end. We want to know the whole plan and the outcome, and and we want guarantees that in the end, the situation will always end well. We want to take control of circumstances. We want people to believe that we're innocent of all wrongdoings and mistakes. We, We always want to shout before anybody jumps to judgment, it's not my fault. We want to plead our case while people are still quiet. And James says that the correct way to respond to difficulty is to act in harmony with this, the Word of God. And and the Word of God says that if we claim to be followers, if we are believers in Jesus, then we have to be receptive to what the Word says, and we have to respond and say, I will live, I will react, I will obey the Word of God. If you have a pen, I want you to write down this reference point, and, and then I want you to go home and look it up in the message, and I want you to inscribe it in the front of your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. We must be convinced that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses his word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 2 or chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3 verse 16 and 17. So so James starts correcting what is wrong in our lives and teaching us what is true. He he starts very practically. Dear spiritual family, he says, what I'm saying is vital and and you should know following this godly advice that your life will be be better. You need to be quick to listen. We're living in a time when everyone is screaming at one another, and very few are listening. We're we're insistent that 
that they need to know what I think, what I believe. I want you to believe what I believe. You're not listening to me and so, and, and what I'm saying. So I'm going to speak louder and run over your words with my words in the hope that you'll stop speaking and you'll hear me. And, and James says, before you react, before you respond, before you speak or argue first, practice this area of self-control. Listen. Be quick to listen. Before you speak, listen. The only one who has the power, has the ability to make me listen, make me hear what is being said, what God is saying, what the word is saying, what my neighbor is saying, the only person who can make that happen in me is me. It's not a mystery, it's not a trick of God that one moment I don't listen and then he goes shazam and I listen. It's a self-discipline thing. Keep it quiet and listen. James says, practice self-control. Be slow to speak. It was difficult. It is difficult for me to listen. It's, it's a difficult lesson for me to learn, but every thought, every opinion that occurs between my ears does not need to be expressed out loud. Does not need to find escape through my teeth. In fact, very few of those words should be released into the air in the atmosphere. Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, The more you talk, the less truth there is. Wise people learn to measure and give out only a few words. I have people on my staff who say, Pastor Bill, you have to learn to say it in 50 words rather than 5,000. I say, we have 5 million to choose from. Why would I just limit myself that way? <sighs> You've heard the adage that women who put a few pounds on live much longer than husbands who point that fact out to them. <laughs> James says, you're in charge. You're responsible for your words, for the damage they do. So don't be so fast about releasing your words. Learn to consider what you say before it is said, before it causes damage, before problems arise. But finally, most importantly, be very slow to get angry. It was bad before, but after two years of isolation and being out of social melus where you are sanded down and corrected from time to time, we, we live on the dial right up at 10. We, we don't know how to live at one or two. We're, we're, we're Full blast all the time. We're angry about everything. We're angry about everybody. We want people fired. We, wanted them we want them voted out of office. We want them punished to the full extent of the law. We, we, we want them to learn how to drive. We want them to know, don't you know your job? Uh, we, we are angry in a season of anger right now. And James says, get control over your anger. 
Get control on your rage. I have a piece of homework for you. From this moment until we gather again next Sunday, I would like you to keep a running tally in your brain as to how many times from this moment on, how many times do you have an anger flare-up? Okay? How many times? How many times do you jump into a conversation before you've heard the full story? Jump in to promote your version or your vision. How many times does your blood pressure shoot up because someone or something has made you angry? I want you to count those. So the question has to be asked, what is an acceptable number of times to get angry in one week? I'm not sure, but my guess is a lot less than we are. I I think anger can be a motivation for change, but it can also be a distraction that pulls us off the track of where we're going. It it can take us away from the mission that God has for us. We, We get angry and then we have to do something about it, so we have to lay down our tools and we have to rant and rave and rage and maybe even revenge. And that leads us down a rabbit hole, and that takes us further and further away from the purpose God has you here for. Let me read to you the the stunning way that the message translates this verse. It says, post this all at the intersections of your life, dear friends. Lead with your ears. Follow a little farther behind with your mouth, with your tongue. And let anger straggle along in the rear. Good advice. James is saying, train yourself. Work on this now. Be responsible. Be proactive. Be always quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Because, verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth. Get rid of all the evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your soul. That's another verse that might be good to underline. Jesus taught that we could be angry. Just don't sin in your anger. And James pushes further and says, anger that is fed by human motivation and runs out of control does not take us to the result that God intended. Anger that's out of control does not result in in the right kind of living. The, the, The living that God wants you to be involved in. Out of control anger can destroy relationships, can can tear apart your credibility and your reputation, can actually be gasoline poured on an open fire and make things worse. So anger, like our words, has to be controlled. The control of your anger, again, is your, is my personal responsibility. I can't say, well, it's not really my fault. You made me angry. James says, no, you responded angrily. You lost control of yourself. James James says that sin has a scent to it. When it's present, there's something that's off. 
Something that's not right. Something stinks. For the last <clears throat> 10 days or so, every time we got into our car, there was a bad smell. I, I felt Debbie every once in a while looking at me through the <laughs> But it wasn't me. I, I said that we live on an acreage and we have to look after our own garbage and so I thought that I'd put a garbage bag in the back and it had leaked and left a bad odor in the trunk and now that that had wafted into the cabin of the car. So Thursday night, Debbie had an appointment and she gets into the car and it reeks, it's terrible, it smells awful and so she gets out and she puts her head in the trunk and sniffs the carpet <laughs> No, it's not the carpet. And so she gets down on her hands and knees and starts looking through the cabin of the car. And under the driver's seat is a dead mouse. Now the smell was worse, but touching a dead carcass was even worse. So she left it there for me to deal with before <laughs> breakfast on Friday morning. She said to me, you know, you have two funerals today. <laughs> James says, get down on your hands and knees and go through your life looking for things that smell bad to God. Get rid of all the filth. Get rid of all the evil in your lives. If God is against it, then get rid of it. Don't hide it. Don't make excuses for it. Don't, don't explain it away. Get rid of it. Well, how do I know if God is for it or against it? Here's why we're asking you to be in the Word every day. Here's why we're asking that. Be in the Word every day. James says, humbly... With, with great humility, not ready to argue with God, but just saying, God, you know better, so you come in. Humbly allow the word of God to weed the garden of your life. Let the word point out weeds that you can remove all that is unhealthy, all that is unhelpful, all that is destructive before it destroys your faith, your credibility, your relationships. The Word of God is not just another book on your shelf in your library. It's, it's the power of God. It, it brings light to darkness. It brings life of God to your spiritual deadness. It brings the strength of God to help you in every area of your weakness. It's, it's more than a book. It's the breath. It's the life. It's the power of God. And James is saying the Bible is not an option that you can take or leave. It's vital. It's a vital component. It, it's an invasive procedure that goes into your life and points out things that could kill you spiritually. It, it seeks out the bad, rotten, smelly things that can pollute your life and spirit. James says, humbly get into the word and allow God to use it to point out what, what needs to be addressed, what needs to be changed. Let the Word of God do its work in you. Well, how? What, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, let's go back to the last verse. I, I don't know about you, but, but I've faced some situations recently that I might have done better in had I been reminded that I needed to work 
on being quicker to listen, slower to speak, and even more slow to allow anger to grow. These are days where it would have been very good for me to put it on a post-it note and stick it to my sleeve and every hour on the hour just be reminded. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Train myself to control what flows out of my life. So James says in verse 22, but don't just listen to the word of God. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. There's a danger that we read the Bible like we read any other book. That we, um, like we read a novel or a history book, we, we read for information or, or, or interest, but we don't read for transformation. Uh, we're called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that starts with the Word of God, letting the Word speak to you and, and, and to your situation. Let it change your perception of situations. Let it challenge and ask you why you react in certain ways to certain difficulties that are in front of you. It's possible to hear God's Word and not to be changed by it. The, the words wash over you, But they're not allowed to sort of sit there and percolate and change and move things around and transform you. If that's your motive, if that's that's not your practice, then you're fooling yourself and wasting your time. The mission of the Word of God is to transform you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Transform you in the way that you think, in the way that you react, in the way that you respond. Not out of rage, but as Jesus would respond. Verse 23, For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You, you see yourself, you walk away, you forget what you look like. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you're, you're talking to people and you feel like they're not looking at your eyes. They're staring at maybe, maybe my mouth or my cheek and, and, and you're a little uncomfortable and you're, you're a little insecure and you think, what, what's going on here? And so you go into the room and you look at the mirror and you see that there's a piece of lettuce that's wrapped right around your tooth and it sort of looks like gangrene is set in and that thing could fall out at any time. And then there's this streak of mustard where you had the Costco hot dog at lunch and didn't realize that some of it got on you. And he says, you see it all there, but then you walk away and you don't take the the lettuce off or get rid of the mustard and and you walk into people again and you wonder, why are they staring at me in such a weird way? That's what James is saying here. Let the word speak to you about what's going on inside of you and let it change you. Listen, obey it, see what it sees and change it. 
James says that if you do, if you go to the word of God and don't obey it, it's like going to that mirror and walking away unchanged. Remember the verse that I earlier directed you to, 2 Timothy chapter 3, not chapter 2, but chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The purpose of the word of God is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses his word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Take that verse and write it in the front cover of your Bible so that every day when you go to the word, you're reminded, I'm here for a purpose. I'm going to be different when I walk away than when I came. Go into the word and say, I've come to learn what is true. I'm here to have you challenge the lies that I believe and bought into. I've come to discover what's wrong in my life. I've come to be corrected and taught to do what is right. God is not entertaining me with stories. He's using his word to shape me, to transform me, to prepare me for service, to equip me for everything that he has both today and tomorrow and for the rest of my days. James says no matter how difficult it is for you to deal with mirrors, no matter how difficult it is for you, this mirror, the mirror of God's word, requires you to do it with intensity, purpose, intentionality, and care. To look into this word and say, how do you want to change me today? Verse 25 But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. The spiritual power of the word is so intense that there is a fear in the spiritual enemy that we have that if we get too invested in scripture, we might get free. And if we get free, then we're a real danger because then there might not be anything he can do to shut us down or stop us. So Satan works hard to keep us from freedom. He he keeps us too busy to read the word of God. He makes us afraid that if we do everything that it says, well, life might get boring and we might look like, like some kind of religious nut job sitting, not doing anything. He, he, he makes us feel, he lies to us about, well, God didn't really mean it when he said that. He, he, he lies to you and to me just like he lied to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Where it says the serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal that God had made. And he spoke to the woman, do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the, to the serpent, not at all. We can eat all, from all the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see the, what's really going on. And, and you'll be just like God, knowing everything ranging all the way from good to evil. You'll know everything. And when the woman saw the tree and that it looked like good eating and realized that 
all that she'd get out of it, that she'd know everything, she took and she ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband and he ate it. And that's where the trouble with sin, that's where the stench of sin began. The first couple did not believe God's word to be true, to be authoritative. They they believed that they could take it or leave it, choose to obey or not to obey, and it would have no effect on them. And that was a lie. And that lie affects you today. It affects me today. But here's the truth. The law of God, the scriptures... The perfect, complete Word of God sets you free every single time without exception. If you go to it, if you look intentionally and carefully at yourself through the lens of Scripture, if you listen and follow the instructions of the Word and you do not forget what it said to you, then God will bless you for doing that very thing for being intentional, for bearing yourself in the word. Let let me take you back to the message and reread that verse that we've just dealt with. I, I hear James's voice so clearly in the message in this verse. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel and wisdom of God, the free life, even if it's only out of the corner of his eye and he sticks with it, it's not a distracted, scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in that action. He, he correctly translates the word bless. That person will find delight and affirmation in action. It has to be intentional. You have to go humbly expecting to be corrected. I don't know about you, but I I struggle when people say, listen, I have to tell you something. You can't do that anymore. But God says, if he values you, if he loves you, if he has a greater purpose, he's going to correct you. Because he believes there's more in you. And you can't be handicapped by what's there now. Verse 26, if you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. And your religion, I, I, I think that James suffers with understatement. He, you're just left wondering what he's thinking. If, if you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. There are times when doing the right thing is not enough. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, if I give everything I own to the poor, even if I go to the stake and be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt if I don't have love. I can do the right thing, but if it's not in love, it doesn't count. 
And James says something similar and pushes the the goal a little bit further. He says, I can be very spiritual. I can be very religious. I can be very Christian. I, I go to church. I read the Bible. I pray. I connect. I give. I serve. I learn. But if I damage and destroy people by what I say because my mouth is out of control, then I am not a representative of Christ. I speak the language of death and destruction, and I do not represent the one who has called himself the resurrection in the life. So now I can't only not be a rageaholic, now I have to watch what I say. So you can't plan one day in the sweet by and by, I'll get around to controlling what I say. You've got to decide, I've got to decide today that I learn to speak life. I learn to speak truth wrapped up in love. I I will learn to allow my words to advertise Christ and not my opinions. If I speak recklessly, if I slander, hatred, bigotry, gossip, lies, garbage flow out of my mouth, then my religion is powerless, destructive, and useless. It's, It's not real robes of righteousness. It's dress-up clothes that are found in a kid's toy box. James will come back a couple of times and and speak to the words that come out of our mouth. There's an important area that James says, we need to talk about this, believers. We need to get a control on what we say and how we say it. And one of the evidences of a a life changed by the Word of God is that the words that come out of our mouth are different. If our words, if our conversation is not changed, then the faith we claim to have is not the faith that God intended us to own. Because real faith, verse 27, pure, genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans, caring for widows in their distress, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. God has this bold, courageous plan to change the world. He he intends to look after hurting, broken people. He intends to go into the darkest corners of the world and bring light and life. He intends to show up where people are held captive, people are slaves to all sorts of horrible masters, and he intends to set them free. And further to that, he intends to use you and to use me. He has a plan to to use us to change the world, and he can't change the world with a people who have no discipline and are lacking character. And the people God needs for his mission are people that have been shaped and transformed in both conduct and character through the discipline that's brought to their lives in this word. It's not an option. I have some, I have a vast array of friends. I have some friends that I really, really care for and really love dearly, but I don't like to go out in public with them because you can't count on them keeping their mouth closed. I'm thinking of one particular friend. We're walking in a city that's not my own. Thank you, Jesus. And they walk up to this person in a mall and say, you know, that outfit just doesn't work. 
You can't, you can't wear stripes and plaids. You can't. That particular person has also been known to say, you know, you could do with a nose job. I'm just, oh, no. <laughs> it's an opinion that formed between their ears and they think that it's so important that they just have to release it so that you're set free. But listen to this. It's different when you're appointed by a prime minister or a president to be an ambassador to another country, to be your government's representative to that nation. When you receive that call, when you have that mantle on your life, you lose the right to give your opinion. You speak the words you are given, no more, no less. If you misspeak, you could cause an international incident. And James says that you and I are ambassadors of heaven and we've lost our right to talk smack. To express our limited and faulty opinion on who is good and who is bad, who is lost, who is found. The ability to always announce, listen, this is what I think. This is the final word. We also work diligently at not being corrupted. Debbie, will you come to the keyboards, please? We also work diligently at not being corrupted by the word. When, when we, we, we represent a pure, genuine kingdom of love and light, and, and we, we go in to help, not to hinder. We, we pay attention to the weak, to the disenfranchised. We help widows. We care for orphans. We go to anybody in distress. That is our conduct. But we work diligently at not being corrupted and polluted by the world. We refuse to buy into their protocols. We refuse to adopt their values. The values of a kingdom that's described as the kingdom of darkness in every way different from the kingdom of God. And that's the word working at us and working in us on our character. And the way that that happens is an intentional, careful examination of ourselves in the mirror of God's Word. It, it has to start today. It has to happen every day. Not just on days when we have time, because this Word has so much transformational power in your life that the enemy will work hard to make sure that no day you have time for the Word. And you just have to say, B -b 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 -sh. I'm here. Leave me alone. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What are you how are you going to correct me today? What needs to be changed? What do you want me to see today, God? not a bad idea to keep notes. Some days I just need to be reminded, oh, this isn't the first time you've spoken to me about this. And this week has been an interesting week. Don't you know family is just delightful and such a joy always to work with. 
there were some differences of opinions and there were some heart feelings and there was and every morning when I got up I'm in the book of Mark there was this bill today love don't correct don't complain just love but God God what do you have to say to me today carry grace everyone you meet will need grace he always knows where he's got me and how to speak to me and he always prepares me for today and for what he's going to do tomorrow and next week and next month and what he's going to do James is so practical and has a lot to say about the seven targets that we've set as a church for our lives so that we can encounter God. In in your connection with people, James says, train yourself to speak life, speak truth and love, to build up and not tear down. Get control over your words. Go to the word humbly and read it daily with the intention of being corrected and transformed. Serve in God's mission to change the world by going to people who are in distress and helping. Not talking about being helpful, but actually show up and help. Learn to see yourself as God sees you, as an agent agent of world change who is being transformed into an ambassador of heaven in the mission to change the world. Earn the right to be invited into people's world because you can be trusted to do the right thing and not to harm people with your words and your actions. Get your character lined up with the Word of God. Get your values lined up with the Word of God. Be prepared to give your life, give your time, give your resources to help look after people that are in need, people who are being crushed by the distresses of life. It's why we're being in intentional and being invested in this new community partnership with Discovering Choices School. As as Eric tells you more and more about this, you will be so excited that we get to be a part of this. You just have to take your hat off and be impressed that kids who live on the street, have no home to go to, would get up and make their way to school with no support, no family, no no one saying, "Hey, listen, get up. They just do it. And if we can help them, what an honor. What a privilege. That's true, pure religion. Will you bow your heads with me? This morning, I'm just going to list a few things, and if you fall into one of those categories, I, I want you to stand up, and, and uh, you don't have to worry because nobody's looking. I'm not looking. I'm just leading and with my eyes closed. And then when, everybody, when people are standing up, we're going to pray. But you're here this morning, and you've said, oh, man, James, you've hit me where I live. I, if, if, if you have trouble listening then when I ask you to I'm going to ask you to stand if, if you have trouble with your words you, you speak too much or your words come out with, with a bit of an edge with a bit of harshness or if you're, you're angry all the time if you're a rager if you've struggled making 
the word a priority or you've read the word religiously but you've never given it the opportunity to speak to you and say hey this is wrong this is right this is what needs to change if you've just had trouble partnering with God giving him coming to him humbly and allowing him to come into your life if you have an area in your life that is just hard to deal with because you've been disappointed for so long over this one area or two areas and and you just don't know God you can be trusted in a lot of things but why haven't you answered me here if any one of those are you will you just stand because I want to pray for you nobody will know why or or if you're yeah please go ahead if if you don't know Jesus you stand too because we want to we want to do that we want to do that We want to pray. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good. So, Father, you're our God. You're our Father. You're so good to us. And we're your children. And we love you. And we want to be, we want to grow up to be just like you. We want to think like you. We want to act and react like you. We want to speak like you. We, we don't want to be a rageaholic. We want to be a person who, who is able to control what we say and what we do and what we, how we think. We want, we want to be people of faith. And God, you know that in our hearts and in our lives, we've been wounded and damaged and hurt, and, and in some places we've been destroyed. And so we're just coming to you and we're saying, God, will you speak to us plainly and clearly? Speak to us in ways that we understand. For some, that's by dreams. For others, that's by an audible voice. For others, that's through the fellowship of believers. you, You speak in whatever language we listen to the best. I'm asking that you would heal broken hearts this morning. I'm asking that you would lift off the heavy, smothering pillow of disappointment because we've waited, we've asked, we've begged, we've pleaded, and nothing has occurred. We even start to wonder, God, are you even answering us? Do you even hear us? But God, your word declares that you hear every word. Not only that, but you have a a bottle in heaven that has collected and is reminded of the pain and the prayer and the intercession that has come with every tear, every tear, God. So I'm praying that you would speak life, health, strength, restoration, healing, encouragement, every heart that's standing this morning. The rest of the church stand. I'm asking God that you'd cause us all to fall in love with your word, to know your word, to love your word, to be transformed, to come daily. That God, you'd put a hunger, a craving in our hearts, a craving in our hearts. God, 
two o'clock in the morning this morning, I craved something sweet. I got up out of bed and started going through the kitchen to find something sweet. I found some grapes, but God, I know that cravings are in there, and now I want a spiritual craving in my heart and in the hearts and lives of my people to have a divine, life-changing encounter with you day after day after day so that we can stand and be the people, be the ambassadors of heaven that you've appointed us to be. Bless us with a craving for you, we pray. God, for those who are standing this morning and they've come and they've, they've just desired to know God in a brand new way, we're going to pray a prayer and the whole church is going to pray. It's just an invitation to God. And, and we're going to pray it out loud, everyone. And if this is the first time or if this is a recommitment to you, then before you go, will you see one of the pastors in the place and say, listen, I prayed that prayer of recommitment. Pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father, I need you desperately. I confess that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that you're the only one who can fix my sin. I'm asking for your forgiveness. I'm asking that you walk me through into life. That you'd make me a disciple, a follower and a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would transform and change my family that I would be more like you. Father, that's what we all pray. That's what we all ask for, that we would be reflections of who you are. This is my church family, and I take them and I place them in your hand for the week that is ahead. I'm asking that you would lead them as ambassadors to speak words of life. I'm asking that they would put their hands on the sick and see them recover. I ask that they would speak to strongholds and chains and prison doors and declare that they would be opened and that they would see mighty things happen in the week that is ahead, that they would be aware of the opportunities, the doors that you're opening, the, the privilege that they have been given to represent you in the world that they live in. Bless them, teach them, change them, guide them and guard them, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I love you guys.